Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Several years ago, researchers at the University of Virginia conducted a test, the kind of test that I think would be fun to conduct, but not to be in. The test was electric shock of people, which is what psychologists, majors apparently get to do. And they would shock people, and then they also were checking out the brain of folks. And actually, I don't think they shocked people, because then I think you get in trouble for that nowadays, but it's just the fear, the thought of being shocked. And they would ask people, now, if you answer this question wrong, we're going to shock you, okay? So the person would be nervous, and the part of their brain that would light up that was related to themselves and fear, they could see that. And then when they, when they asked, now, if you get this question wrong, we're going to shock a stranger, there was no brain activity. That part of the brain that cared about themselves and other people didn't light up, right? Because strangers, who cares about them? Exactly. And then, anybody's brain light up? Moms did. Like, whoa. But then if they asked you, or if they said, if you get this question wrong, we're going to shock one of your friends, the part of the brain that lit up the same as when they threatened to shock you lit up for your friends. And it was interesting because what the researchers at the University of Virginia discovered in doing this process is that we are hardwired in our brain for friendship. We are hardwired in our brain for friendship. In fact, what they found is that our self comes to include the people we feel close to. Another way of saying that is our self-identity is largely based on who we know. This is why we name drop, right, when we get around other people. Oh, yeah, this one time, you know, I met such and such, and yeah, we're, we're really tight, you know. And I mean, This is because who we are and how we self-identify is largely based on who we know. Now, it's interesting to me because the scriptures talk about this. They talk about friendship quite a bit. But I have never given a sermon on friendship ever, I'm starting to think. And we've been in this text, uh, John chapter 15. And if you have your Bible, it'd be a great time to grab that thing and open it up to John chapter 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, go to about two-thirds of the way through it, and uh, you'll find uh, the Gospels, and you'll find John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking. The way I know that is all the red letters in my Bible, and uh, I also read he's talking there, but... uh, He's in a discourse, and it starts in verse or chapter 14, and it continues on, and he's speaking to his disciples, his, his closest friends on earth, and he's speaking to his friends, and he has a lot to teach us about friendship. Now, you'd think, well, I, did, I thought it was about vines and grapes and stuff, but it is about friendship. Now, when you look at friendship in America, there's another study that was done in 2013, and they found, they discovered that there is a national friendship crisis in the U.S. Now, what do they mean by that? Well, they found that 75% of the people they, they talked to, and there were thousands of people they talked to, 75% of those folks were unsatisfied with their friendships. They were unsatisfied with their friends. <laughs> Right? It kind of reminds me of that Chevy commercial where they, they're supposed to give 
the award to their best friend, right? The most reliable friend. And they're like, oh my gosh. Well, 75% of the people apparently don't even have a friend to give that award to. 68% of the folks said that they want deeper friends rather than more friends. People want deeper friendships rather than, than more friends. It's interesting because when you think about this in regards to the church, the church is a place where when you talk to folks, why did you start attending that church? Why did you start coming to church? You know the top answer people give? Me. Well, not me. Pastors. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Come on. I mean, you got to laugh about that. The top reason why somebody comes to church is because of the pastor, 93% of people, when they're asked, why did you start coming to this church? The reason they give is the pastor. But that same 93% of people, when you ask them, why would you stay? They say, because I have friends here. The reason that people connect to a church initially is a pastor, but since a pastor can't know everybody, they find and know other people, and then they stay because of their friendships that they're building. In fact, those who have friends at church, I mean good, close friends, are less likely to become inactive or leave. In fact, when you ask folks who have left churches, exit interviews, um, 75% of those folks who left churches say, we left because it seemed to me that they didn't care whether I was there or not. And what they're saying is, I didn't find friends there. I didn't connect to it. In fact, it's kind of funny because many of you know, know I grew up at a huge church. I grew up at a church that had 2,000 plus members. Uh, we actually had our Easter Sunday services at Fiddler's Green, um, and we would go and just fill up the place, and it was a lot of fun. On average, the average church member knows 67 people in the congregation, regardless of the congregation size. And that's probably about true for me. Out of those thousands of people that were every Sunday morning, and people were, people were like, how on earth could you go to a church like that? It's so big. You can't possibly know everybody. And it's like, I know, but I was an introvert, so I could hide. And it was awesome, right? And I knew my 67 people. Regardless of the size, whether you are at a church of 2,000 or a church of 150, you know about 67 people in that church. It's funny to me, church rarely talks about friendship. Like I said, uh, this is probably my first sermon on friendship. We have marriage seminars, we have parenting seminars, we have financial peace seminars, but do we have, hey, how to have friends seminars? Maybe we don't have these seminars because we think, ah, friends, everybody can get that figured out on their own. But yet, if 75% of the folks in our nation find that they are unsatisfied with their friendships, 68% of the people want deeper relationships, then perhaps the church does need to talk into this. And not just because of those statistics, but because Jesus spoke into this. In John chapter 15, we're going to pick up in verse 9. The last few weeks, we've we've kind of read uh, the first 10 verses. Today, we're going to jump in at verse 9. My Bible has a little paragraph a marker there to tell me that apparently this is kind of a sort of a new thought. And Jesus is speaking. He says this, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. 
Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Now, every time that Jesus says love in this chapter, we need to keep in mind that he's talking about friendship love. He's talking about the love between friends. How do I know that? Because he used the word friend three times in the passage. Clearly, he's talking about friends. He's talking about the love between friends. And so one thing I want us to do is I want us to wrestle with why do we need friends? Because some of you are, you know, you live in the country on purpose because you have no neighbors, right? And it's like, ah, oh, I love it. I don't have to make friends. I have, I have like cattle. They're my friends, you know, or however that works. I grew up in the city. I don't know how that works. Um, but why do we need friends? Why would Jesus talk about friends? Why would he talk about friendship? On some levels, this almost feels kind of elementary, doesn't it? To talk about friends and friendships. Because we all think we know what this means. But Jesus talks about friends. And one thing that I want to point out to you is we need friends. In fact, we need friends for two reasons. We need friends because we're like God and because we need God. We need friends because we are, we, we are built, we're made, we're designed like God, but we also need God. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, when Jesus is talking about friendship in this passage, did you see who he's relating it to? He says, I love and remain in the Father, and the Father loves me. He's talking about the Trinity. Now, I'm not going to try to give a long expose on what that is, because frankly, I don't understand it much. It's a difficult thing. It's a hard thing. But the historic Orthodox Christian teaching teaches that God exists eternally in three persons. One being three persons. Don't ask me to try to explain that any more than that, right? Because it's confusing to us. But God exists eternally, one being three persons. And so forever, the Trinity has existed forever into the past and forever into the future, the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existed, is existing, has existed, will exist. That means that friendship has always existed. Think about it. Friendship was not created. It wasn't like on the fourth day, God created friends and thought it was a great idea, right? It was no. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have always existed together in perfect relationship, in perfect friendship, in perfect love with one another. This is why the brain, according to the University of Virginia researchers, duh, is hardwired for friendship because your brain was wired by God. And that's why they found out science demonstrated, hey, we need other people. It's important. Friends are key. Friends are are deep-rooted. The scriptures tell us friendship was existing prior to existence. (laughs) That one smoked my brain, right? 
Friendship existed prior to existence. That's why we need friendship. Now, it's interesting. When God creates Adam, Adam goes and he has this big, long day, and I've talked about this recently, where God brings all of the animals to Adam, right? Now, I don't know how they got that done in 24 hours. It's a lot of animals. He brings all the animals to Adam. He's naming them. He starts out big names, rhinoceros, hippopotamus. How do you spell that? I don't know. You're God. Write it down. God's his secretary, right? In my little picture of this. He starts getting bored. Dog, cat, mouse, you know, running out of steam. At the end of that exercise, the whole point of the exercise was for Adam to feel lonely. Now, loneliness is not because of sin. Loneliness, remember, this is prior to the fall. This is prior to Adam and Eve sinning and disobeying God. Loneliness existed before sin. And God's whole point was to demonstrate to Adam, hey, you need somebody. You need friends. You need other people. His loneliness is actually rooted in the fact that he is made in the image of God. His loneliness is a problem because he's an image bearer, because God made him like God is. So God exists forever, eternally in friendship, and his intention was, Adam, Steve, have friends, exist in friendship with other people and with me. It's fascinating because the researchers at the University of Virginia said that our self-identity is largely formed by who we know. Try to describe yourself not referencing other people. I mean, it's hard. I mean, most of us go, I'm a dad of these kids. I'm a husband of this woman. I, we talk about who we are in relationship to other people. It's hard to self-identify in other ways. This is hardwired into us. In this way, we are godlike in how we're made. Little G, by the way, godlike. Image bearers. We bear the image of God. And one of those stamps on us is that we need people. It's indispensable. You desperately need other people. Now, having said that, we all need God. But think about it. Adam was in perfect relationship with God, and yet he was lonely. There are needs and opportunities and burdens and struggles that we have that other people are meant to walk alongside us in. But anybody ever been let down by somebody? The official name for that is parenthood, marriage. Those are the official names for that, right? Um, We're let down by one another. We let down people. And so ultimately, all of these human relationships, which are indispensable, and you really need them. They're super important. None of us is meant to go through life alone. They ultimately will fail us at some level, and we need to be pointed to one who won't. Friendship points us to our need for God because we have such a profound need to be known, to be loved, to be appreciated. We have this profound need deep inside of us, but the only one that can possibly do that for us is God. 
In fact, you go back to the University of Virginia. If we self-identify, their words, if we self-identify based on who we know, wow, well, if you know God, think about throwing that into your (laughs) self-identification. The God of the universe loves me. The God of the universe sent his son to die for me. The God of the universe would let the the stars fall to the earth before his love for me would die. That radically redefines you. And that's what we need. We need God. All right. Well, how? (laughs) How's this going to happen? Many of us are very religious people. Some of us, most of us, quite a few of us are very moral people. We go through all sorts of rigmarole to be moral people, be righteous people, be good people, be at the right places at the right times with the right folks, and we avoid the wrong places at the wrong times with the wrong folks, and we go through all of this, and you could still not be God's friend. You could go through all the right motions, it's like how I've said in the past, you can sit in a car all, or you can sit in a garage all you want, but you'll never become a car. You can sit in church all you want, but you're never going to become a friend of God just by sitting in church. You can read the Bible all you want. You can study it ad nauseum. You can learn ancient Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. You can sit around and think big thoughts like Bart Ehrman. You can be a pundit on the Bible. You can know all sorts of things and you cannot be a friend of God. How do we become friends of God? How do you know if you're friends with God? I think it's similar to how we know we're friends with people. There's two things that are true about people who are our friends and that are true about God being our friend. One is, well, here's the two things. I'll give them one thing. A friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. A friend is someone who always lets you in and never lets you down. Some of you are going to go home tonight. You're going to try that at like 1230, knock at your friend's house and see if they let you in, right? No, it's not what I'm meaning, but you could try it. What I mean is this, when we start letting people into our lives, what do we do? We share life with them. We start to let them in. We start to let them see the real us. Because for the most part, and by the way, this is a good looking crowd. You all have, you've, you've, you've cleaned up really well. Good job, right? You all look great. For the most part, everybody smells good. For the most part, everybody's well-behaved right? We clean up really well. But some of us, before we got here, this is why I get to church at 6.30 before my family leaves. Some of us, before my family gets up, I should say, some of us, before we leave the house, had a fight on the way to church. Or before we got to church. Or last night, and we still haven't quite worked that out. And those are things that we don't want other people to know. That's called meddling, right? But we look good right now. And if you have a friend here, maybe you drop your guard briefly and say, when they come up and say, how you doing? You're like, oh, I'll tell you later, right? Those are your friends. But everybody else, how are you doing? Great, I'm blessed. It couldn't be any better. It's like the veneer is on, right? And the wax job and everything else. And I'm wonderful. I'm blessed. I'm fantastic. And you're just like, sometimes those folks just make me want to hurt myself. 
Eh, I want to hurt them more. <laughs> you see, when we let people in, we're letting them know who we really are. We start to share secrets about us. We start to share things that nobody else knows. And that's how you know you're someone's friend. This happens with God. Did you hear what Jesus said? I no longer call you servants, but friends. Why? Because you know my business. You know about me. I've told you secrets. Every time I talked a weird parable, I clued you guys in. When I did miracles, and folks were like, I don't know what's going on. Who is this guy? I told you who I was. I told you what was going on. You are my friends, says Christ. And that is how we know we're God's friend. If you start to experience God in new ways, when you start to read his book, it's not just words that you're reading. You start to find out that it works on you, that it does things to you, that things you read when you were 10 read different when you're 40. Hopefully you've been keeping up that discipline. You find that God speaks to you. You find that he leads and guides you and directs you. He's a friend. He lets you in on secrets about you. One of the secrets he does is he tells you who you are. He tells you who you are in Christ. He tells you who you are. Another part of what he tells you about yourself is he tells you about your gifts, what you're good at, what he has supernaturally stuck in you when you accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. Yeah, that's true. Some of you are like, I don't believe that. It's true. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, one thing that happened was God came into you in the person of the Holy Spirit. And in that experience, in that sticking in the battery pack, so to speak, you got loaded up with a bunch of gifts, supernatural abilities. <laughs> I mean, just think if I was preaching just on my own. Ugh, that'd be terrible. I mean, some of you are like, man, it's bad enough. But if I was just by myself in this endeavor, right? I've watched some of you nod off. Just think how long your naps would be without the Holy Spirit's help. Now, he tells you about the real you. He tells you secrets about yourselves. The second part, never let you down. Jesus in verse 13 says, I lay down my life for you. He says, he said it a different way, right? Because this is before he did it. He said, no love has anyone than this. No love greater than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And this is, you know, a couple days before he does that for them. You think some bells and whistles were going off? Hey, I think that's what he's talking about later. Well, they figured it out. When you have a good friend, you're willing to put yourself out for them, right? You're willing to sacrifice something for them. We call it marriage and parenting, two of the formal ways of thinking about friendship. But when we have friends, we are willing to sacrifice, to lay down something for them. It could be as simple as time, right? Giving somebody our time, our undivided attention, listening to them. What a gift listening is. These are things that we experience with God and with other people. Now, I want to unpack the let you in a little bit more, okay? Because friends tell secrets, in fact, the art of friendship, have you ever been around somebody who's like trying to force their way into your life, like to be your best friend? 
Like somebody who announces it, hey, you and me, we're going to be best friends. And you're like, I'm kind of already turned off by you. Not terribly interested in it. Friendship is not something that you can force. In fact, that's one of the things we've been wrestling with as we have tried to, to figure out this small group initiative a little bit. Because one of the things that we're wrestling with is, okay, we've got all these people signed up. Now do we like force them in groups, right? Let's draw straws. I mean, I don't know what we pick teams. Nobody wants to be the last one picked, right? I mean, how do we go about dividing folks into small groups? I have some ideas. But just like the meatless hot dog idea, they'll probably be shot down. (laughs) But listen to this. The art of friendship is you open up a little bit and you encourage the other person to open up a little bit. And a true friendship has this give and take, doesn't it? Where you start to open a little bit, and they open up a little bit, and then you realize, oh, we're going there, and oh, we're sharing this, and oh, we're going a little deeper, and oh, yeah. And it's this back and forth, and it's this heart. It's this mutual choosing of one another. It's kind of interesting because the Hebrew word for friendship is the exact same word as secret. The exact same word as secret in Hebrew is friendship. So David and Jonathan, you think of that great friendship that was modeled for us in Scripture. They knew things about one another. They knew secrets about one another. In fact, the Scriptures share with us some of those secrets that they know. Jonathan is the son of Saul. He's the next in line for the throne. And Jonathan says, hey, guess what? I'm not the next king of Israel. You are. How do I know? I don't know. I just watch you. You're God's man. You're ordained. You're the next king. Saul, his dad, didn't know that secret. (laughs) Jonathan knew it, shared with his best friend, David. Now, when you have a relationship with God, you know secrets about yourself, about God, that others don't necessarily know. In fact, when you have a saving relationship with God, you will not simply be a servant, but you will be his friend. So Jesus said, you will not simply be a servant of God, You will be a friend of God. And by the way, this is the only religion that offers this to you. Christianity is the only religion that offers you friendship with God. All other religious systems, all other religions. Buddha dies. What does he leave? Words. Confucius dies. What does he leave? Words. Muhammad dies. What does he leave? Words. Jesus dies. What does he do? Pulls off Easter. And when you read these words of his, not only do you get the words, you get him. That's why the picture of heaven in Revelation that we read about over and over and over again is the people are with God. You get him. That's the blessed hope. That's what Christianity is all about. Jesus promises you a friendship with him, with God, with the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. Anybody ever been lost? Come on, guys. I mean, I've driven behind some of you guys, and you're, you're lost around your own hometown. How do I know this? Because you go about 15 miles an hour. You must be lost. I mean, I got places to be, people to see, stuff to do. You apparently are lost, right? Let's pretend you're lost, because I know none of the men ever get lost. But let's pretend you're lost. Women, you know they're lost a lot of times. You're lost. You pull over for directions. I know, it's a hypothetical. You pull over for directions. You find a local, you know, 
Hopefully you're not in Mississippi. Those folks speak banjo down there. You ever been to Mississippi? I pulled over one time, and this guy at the filling station, we were trying to get to Hall, Mississippi, and I'm like, hey, how do we get to Minnehaw? Well, you go down over here, and you go and drive down, down over this way, and you get in the back of the car, and then you go on 149, 37, and you get over here. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Hold on. Yeah, Google does not have banjo in here, Right? But let's say you find somebody who actually can, let's, let's say you find somebody and they're like, you know, it is really hard to get to Mendenhall, Mississippi from here. It is so confusing. I could draw you a map, but I'm going to jump in the car with you and go. Now he doesn't speak banjo. I can understand him. Okay. You see, that's what you got. That's what Jesus is offering you. The other religions, they offer you a map. They try to say, hey, if you do these things, you'll be a nice guy. You'll be a good person. You'll clean up well. But Jesus says, like that old country song, let me take the wheel. Let me jump in the car with you. You see, when you get Jesus, you don't get a map. You get a relationship. And Jesus guides you. And the frustrating thing with Jesus is he sometimes his GPS is a little later than we like it to be. Right? There's times we're like, why didn't you let me know earlier? Why didn't you tell me it was going to be okay? Right? Have you ever yelled at a co-passenger of the car before? Husbands? Anybody? Ever? Maybe I'm just confessing today. You see, Jesus jumps in the car with you, and he gives you himself, not a map. Now, this never lets you down peace, real quick. Verse 13, Jesus says, lays down his life for his friends. No person, no man has greater love than this, that that he would lay down his life for his friends. Man, talk about sacrifice. Now you might think, oh, I've, I've watched movies. I've heard stories about wartime where men lay down their lives. I've heard stories about women, mothers who lay down their lives for their kids. I've heard these stories. I've heard these things. I've read these things. What's special about Jesus laying down his life for him, us? Well, let's say that uh, in that car that I'm driving, um, well, let's get away from the car. Let's say that there's some scenario that I have, to, I have the opportunity to jump in and save you and take a bullet for you. Did I give much for you? I gave my life for you, but my life is already forfeit. I'm already going to die. It's just a matter of when and how. Just happened to be his bullet that day. And I jumped in the way of it for you. Jesus, on the other hand, what's different about his death? You see, he didn't have to die. He didn't have to die. He came to earth of his own choosing. He lived this perfect sinless life that you and I should live but can't. And then in the process of this, he decides, I think I'll die. He didn't, I mean, it was a little more uh, planned than that. But he decided, I'm going to die. This is why in the Gospels he says, nobody takes my life from me, but I lay it down. He laid his life down. He could have pulled off a Jesus and just shot up into heaven. He could have pulled off an Enoch or an Elijah, the two guys in the Old Testament that never died. He could have done that because he wasn't subject to the law of sin and death like you and I are. We can't do that. We can't go, hey, I'm just going to death. I'm going to opt out of that one. Don't want that. Sounds bad. Probably will hurt. Nope. No, thank you. Jesus could do that. You and I, 
We are subject to the law of sin and death. How do I know that? Because sleeping hurts sometimes. Right? Do you experience this? You wake up and you're like, oh my gosh. Marnie, what did you do? Did you hit me over the head with something? This is a soft pillow. It felt like a rock. What's wrong with me? Steve, the problem is you're subject to the law of sin and death. And sleeping hurts as you get older sometimes. Ugh. That wasn't in the brochure. Right? You start to find out your subject. Jesus was not subject to the law of sin and death. Therefore, he laid down his life for his friends. He chose willingly to lay his life down for his friends. And it says that you can have friendship with God if you will recognize that he laid down his life for you. If you recognize that he laid down his life for you, you can be God's friend. In fact, that's the only way to be God's friend is to recognize that Jesus laid down his life for you. No amount of sitting in church, no amount of reading your Bible, no amount of praying, no amount of trying to be good, no amount of trying to do the right things, only accepting Jesus Christ's death on the cross for your sins. Can you be God's friend? Well, we've come to the end and it's 10 minutes to kick off and some of you guys are freaking out a little bit. So let's wrap this up. What are some applications? Well, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't bent the knee to him, if you haven't experienced allegiance to Jesus Christ, if he's not your Lord and Savior, this is just as good any day to begin that relationship with him. He wants to jump in the car. He wants to tell you where to go. He wants to help you and guide you. He wants to reveal some secrets to you. Everybody likes a good secret. Jesus wants to reveal secrets to you. He wants to tell you who you are. He wants to tell you what he's given you. He wants to tell you what you're worth to him. And he will do that. He will do that if you will say, Jesus, I accept your death on the cross for my sins. You are my Lord and my Savior. Please please forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Obviously, that's one of the applications of this. That's what Jesus had in mind. A second application, (laughs) you need each other. We need each other. Loneliness is a profound, destructive thing, but it is not sinful. It's just how we're wired. We're wired for other people. We need each other. If you're not thinking about being in a small group, however we figure out how to divide those up, if you want to just go, I'm not going to sign up, but I'm going to find some people, that's awesome. You need to be walking in relationship with other people. You need it. You're hardwired for it. Friendship existed before existence existed. And you need friends. Church is a place to find people, to build relationships, to love one another, to practice being together. Why is it good practice? Because heaven is going to be a lot of togetherness. And some of you are like, well, that sounds like hell. (laughs) If it does, you need to rework your paradigm. If it does, because some of you, I mean, why did that get a giggle? Because it's true for some of us. And you need to rework your paradigm. You need to practice loving one another. How did Jesus end it? This is my command. This is my optional take it or leave it. (laughs) Right? That's how mine come across, I think. 
What did Jesus say? I'm God in the flesh. I'm about to die. I'm about to pull off Easter. Here's my command. Now it's probably nicer how he said it, right? But I just want to make sure you understand. It's a command. Moms ever command kids? Dads ever command kids? Employers ever demand command employees? Jesus commands this. What's his command? Be at church on time. Love one another way harder than being at church on time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words. More than that, we thank you for the word giver. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are offering relationship to us. We thank you that this relationship brings life. We thank you that this life is more abundant and more powerful and more meaningful than life without. And Lord, we pray for those who have never trusted you. In a group this big, I'm sure there's many. And Lord, may they say these words after me in the quietness of their own heart. Heavenly Father, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of my unrighteousness. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I accept his death on the cross for my sins. And I ask you to enter into my life and give me this friendship, this friendship with God that you promise. And Father, for each and every single one of us who want and crave folks to know us better, Help us see the cost. It requires time. It requires listening. It requires effort. Maybe even, oh, I don't know, skipping out on a Broncos game. Father, help us to be a group of people who seek to build relationships and community with one another, no matter the cost. We ask these things in Christ's name. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. What great peace you have available to you. Friendship with God and with each other. Amen.